This podcast is also part of a pod course, which is available for credit on speechtherapypd.com. All you need to do is register for the course, complete the requirements, and you will receive credit. Speechtherapypd.com is a video continuing education company, a certified ASHA CE provider. First Bite sure does love some freebies, and I grew up loving some coupons. That's my kinfolk's way of saying coupons. I can't even say it correctly. (laughs) And so to start the new year off right, we wanted to do a little give back. So if you head on over to speechtherapypd.com and enter the code FIRSTBITE, not to be confused with the autocorrect of Frostbite, well, then you will find a fabulous $10 off coupon for an annual subscription. That will give you access to all of the one to three hour webinar courses, as well as all the First Byte pod courses for CEUs for an annual membership of only $79. But hey, do you want more? Don't you love that cheesy sales line? I love that cheesy sales line. Okay, well, if you do, you can use that same coupon, First Byte, and access all of the courses on speechtherapypd.com's website for a fabulous deal of $179 a year. Whoop, whoop. So don't forget, plug in the coupon first bite when you check out at the speechtherapypd.com website. Happy listening, y'all. Hi, it's Erin. I'm your regular co-host of First Bite. First of all, I want to thank y'all so much for tuning and listening to First Bite. We've been incredibly encouraged and excited by the feedback we've received and are looking forward to the future. In the meantime, if you've been enjoying First Bite, please take a moment, maybe pause your device to subscribe, leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening. This podcast started out as a small idea to bring convenient, tangible resources to SLPs and other professionals, and we value your feedback more than anything. Leaving those reviews truly helps us out. Enjoy the episode, and thanks for listening. This episode is brought to you by Nourish, made by Functional Formularies. Moms are saying that their kids are thriving on Nourish and that it's the best decision that they've made when it comes to their child's nutrition. Not only is this 2B baby formula nutritionally complete without having any added sugar or synthetic ingredients, it's real food. Mamas love the fact that it's organic and made with whole food, plant-based ingredients and are grateful to be able to have Nourish to feed their children. Make sure that you ask your child's pediatrician today about Nourish and give that baby the food they need to survive and thrive. Learn more at functionalformularies.com or find them on Facebook at Functional Formularies or on Instagram at Functional Formularies. folks, and welcome to First Bite, fed, fun, functional resources for the pediatric clinician. I am your host on this nerd venture, Michelle Dawson, MSCCC SLP, the All Things Peds SLP. I am a colleague in the trenches of home health early intervention right there with you. I run my own private practice, Heartwood Speech Therapy, in Cola Town, South Carolina, and guest lecture nationwide on best practices for early intervention for the medically fragile child. First Bite's mission is short and sweet, to bring light and hope to the world for the pediatric clinician, parent, or advocate. In this podcast, we cover everything from AAC to breastfeeding 
best practice for running a private practice, and all the nitty-gritty details involving feeding and swallowing by interviewing the subject matter experts themselves. We bring the data to you. Every fourth episode, I am joined by the lovely Erin Forward, MSP, CF, SLP, a Yankee transplant who actually inspired this journey and who also walks the wild, woolly, and sometimes sticky walk of early intervention with us. Sit back, relax, and watch out for all the squirrels and enjoy this geeky gig brought to you by SpeechTherapyPD.com. Welcome back to First Bite, fed, fun, and functional resources for the pediatric clinician. I am your host, Michelle Dawson, the All Things Peds SLP. The topic of today falls in that perpetually sought after fed category, and we are talking all things infant toddler feeding with the one and only Diane Barr, MS, CCC, SLP, CIMI. Okay, real quick, what does that mean? Certified Infant Massage Instructor. There it is. Now, if, yay, question number one, you passed. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Okay. All right. Now, if you have a few gray hairs on top like I do, well, then you two were probably missing, missing a semester-long pediatric dysphagia class in grad school too. Aren't you glad that times are changing and this course is working its way into most university college programs across our nation, even if it's just an elective? But hey, it's getting there. Well, the fabulous SLP that we are interviewing today was one of my first mentors in the world of pediatric dysphagia, even if she has never met me before. Well, aside from emails and like laughter-filled phone calls over the last couple of weeks. Now, when I was a young pup attending a shop conference like a lifetime ago, again, Speech Hearing Association of Virginia, whoop, whoop. Uh, I uh, I entered into a conversation by kind of sort of accidentally physically running into an SLP because Grace is not my middle name. And long story short, short, she recommended Diane Barr's second book to me. Nobody ever told me or my mother that. Everything from bottle to breathing and healthy speech development. Her book was one of the most concise and practical resources a green clinician could ask for, especially with respect to what typical development looks like in a kiddo, especially for those of us that don't have little ones. Now, I can't say this enough, folks. I thought I knew what I was doing once upon a time. And then I learned some more and I had kids and my, oh my, I didn't know then what I know now. And I don't know what I don't know. And I look forward to that learning process. So there it is. Now, Diane Parr was one of my first highlighted and torn through textbook resources in the world in pediatric dysphagia. Now, flash forward several years, and a dear friend, Darla, the lady behind the scenes of SpeechTherapyPD.com, introduced the two of us electronically. I will be honest, uh, she had mentioned this to me for months, and I seriously hid like an awkward, nervous turtle and kept telling her I wasn't ready because... You know, Diane Barr is like Diane Barr and I'm just, you know, nothingness over here. So um, after some gentle nudges and text messages and phone calls and Darla saying, you got this, um, I put my big girl panties on and got up the guts to reach out and ask Diane Barr for an interview. So 
Well, here we are, butterflies and all. So hello, Diane Barr. Hello. <laughs> hello, Michelle. Thank you for interviewing me. And by the way, I am an introvert, so I always have butterflies too. So don't feel like you're alone. <laughs> I, I am the ultimate extrovert introvert. I can be on when duty calls. And then otherwise, if somebody recognizes me somewhere, like it's a patient's family or, you know, somebody outside of my normal world, I'm like, oh, now I social interaction. Don't have anxiety. Be normal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that would describe me as well. And and there's nothing to be nervous about with me because I am still a working clinician uh, as and doing fewer and fewer courses, which is one reason I'm putting out webinars and things like that, you know, at fewer and fewer uh, live courses. I'm going to be doing some new webinar type courses. Cool. That's yeah, but we it's harder for folks to get out to live stuff now. I've noticed it's easier when it's I mean, this format, this works for me because I mean, I, I run around like a chicken with my head cut off. I can listen to this in my car. Right. <laughs> so like, yeah. yeah. And Darla is actually the one I was going to retire in my pediatric course. Uh, that course was an infancy through geriatrics course because we taught it at Loyola. Lori Sova taught the uh, swallowing part and I taught the feeding part and motor speech and a few other things at Loyola University in Maryland. Uh, and so this started out as a graduate level course that was required at Loyola for a pretty long time. Um, so it's good to hear that more people are, are giving those courses again. It is. And it, it shows um, I have seen a huge difference in my student clinicians, the ones that have taken Pete's dysphagia because they're, they, ha they have baseline textbook content knowledge. And, and, and it's something that the profession is demanding it and universities are listening to that demand. So supply and demand. But and yes. I'm so thankful that we've gotten to this point. You know, I've been in uh, practice for almost 40 years so I've seen a lot of things come and go and come back, which is really nice. <laughs> <laughs> the cycle. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, you got you got a little bit more there on me than, than my timeline. <laughs> okay. Well, we have we have a lot of ground to cover today, so I'm going to go ahead and roll right in with it. Um, and and this is. It's always interesting to me to hear the answer to this question because different folks look for different things during their assessments. Right. So, which is fantastic because we come at it with different sets of eyes. But when you're doing your baseline assessment, what details are you looking for in assessing when you complete an oral MEC exam for a newborn versus when you complete one for, a, say, like a six-month-old? It's such an excellent question because a newborn is different from a one month old, is different from a two month old, is different from a six month old, a 12 month old, a 24 month old. And it's the reason I wrote the book that you mentioned and the new book that we're talking about today, which is Feed Your Baby and Toddler Right. Early eating and drinking skills encourage the best development. And so I did an update of the literature review literature review um, in that book and I added new things like how to handle tongue tie but let me just give you a rundown 
of what I do for the newborn assessment. Okay. All right. So because the newborn and, and you'll find this in pre-feeding skills, which is by the way, my favorite book by Suzanne Evans Morris and Marsha Dunn Klein. Suzanne Evans Morris has been my mentor since the early 1980s and I, and is still my mentor today. <laughs> so um, what we need to uh, look at is with the newborn and I have a free e-course that's available to all of you. So all you have to do is email me at D-I-B-A-H-R, dibar, at cox.net and I will tell you how we can set this up. Um, I did that e-course when I was actually ill and just couldn't stay in bed and do nothing. Um, so, so I don't mean to laugh, but I, after the little that I know you, I'm imagining you sitting still being very painful. So, yeah. So, so, so my voice sounds a little um, breathy at times, uh, but the course is still for the most part up to date and will show you what to look at in a newborn and then as children develop in that first year. So in your newborn, you want to see a nice wide eye area, which is what we want to see throughout life. We want to see a straight lip line because that indicates the palates, the top and bottom palates are pretty flat. We'll get a little bit of a curve in the upper palate if we're developing well, but high narrow palates are never normal. Mm -hmm. And if we see- Wait, can you just yes. say that again for the masses? High narrow palates are never normal. No, and when we, high narrow palates are never normal. And if you see that in a baby at birth, the first thing to check for is a tongue tie. Uh, because the, that means the tongue has been held down and hasn't been able to rest in the palate to help the palate develop. And so uh, we'll get to that. Tongue tie is something everybody's talking about these days, and we'll talk about how that's part of the assessment. So we, the nice and broad across the eye area means there's good face development. In newborns, we see a nasal bridge. I mean, if you look at the e-course, you're going to see that newborns look a lot like we want you to develop throughout life. Um, okay, so let me see. Oh, and by the way, there are jaw activities you can begin at birth, which are kind of fun playing in the baby's mouth. We have to have fun in therapy. The parents have to have fun. And we don't want to turn parents into therapists, but there are jaw activities you can actually do from birth uh, as you're playing with your baby that can help to keep the palate spread. And that's, that is actually the work of Sarah Rosenfeld Johnson. Okay, so and I, that's what I teach in my courses, because I taught at a university for so long, and I needed to teach my students how to stay up to date with what was out there. I still I'm going to the Feeding Matters Conference next week. I still do my best to stay up to date with what people are doing, um, you know, in these areas so I can stay up to date. So on pages 47 to 52, I hate to give you pages, but this will kind of give you an idea of what's in the new book. You have the oral reflexes listed. Oral reflexes need to be assessed at birth. And that's in all three of my books. My first book was a textbook in uh, the year 2000-2001 called Oral Motor Assessment and Treatment Ages and Stages. Uh, I, I have the reflexes 
in the book you mentioned, and I have the reflexes and the checklist in the current book. So we need to look to be sure that the oral reflexes are typical, and then we need to be sure that they are being integrated by the brain properly as the baby grows, and you have all that information. Um, one, I have to ahead, sure. I have to interrupt you really quick to say you were the first person that I ever heard from about um, any reflexes involved in PO intake. That was not covered in any other course that I had. Mm-hmm. Well, the and it's in pre-feeding skills as well, you know, because Suzanne is my mentor. Um, a lot of the information, and she's the only person that we know of so far who has done a, a birth to like three-year longitudinal study on typical development. But, you know, the oral reflexes are in other references too. You'll see that in all my books what the references are, and you can look them up. But that's, that's new and missed. And folks, when when she talks about like the phasic bite reflex and like the suck reflex, and those are critical that you know those, what they look like for typical. Yes. And thank you for bringing up the phasic bite response because that's one of my uh, tickler ideas that I have here on my page. The phasic bite response is one of the best ways to get really good jaw organization. You'll see that in the e-course, the free e-course. If you get it, you'll see it in my courses if you take them. Um, but the phasic bite response is something where you stimulate the gum area and you get that nice up down. It's not resistive chewing. So you don't want to confuse it with that. Um, it's just very nice up down movement of the jaw and, and biting and chewing on the fleshy part of the index finger. And I show you exactly where that is in the e-course so that you can picture it because I'm a kinesthetic learner. I'm a visual learner. Auditory is not my <laughs> strength. <laughs> I, I, uh, my, my mom was giving me a hard time when I quit breastfeeding the boys and she goes, well, how do you, why did you stop so early? You know, because I stopped around five or six months and I was like, phasic bite reflex was kicking in <laughs> and I was done because I needed body parts to still be attached. And she's like, what are you talking about now? Teeth <laughs> like, should be coming in five. If children are getting enough biting and chewing, and I talk about how to begin that, you know, by three months of age, introducing things like Deborah Beckman's Try Chew uh, in my book. I have a section on mouth development because another thing we know from pre-feeding skills and others is that mouth development is a process. So children do generalized mouthing up to about four to five months of age, that means just kind of in the front of the mouth, and then they do discriminative mouthing beginning at five or six months. So if kids are spending a lot of time on pacifiers and sucking their thumbs and that kind of thing, then they often don't go through those processes. They get stuck in the sucking. And so, but that's another topic. Also, back to reflexes, we want our pediatricians to be looking at full body reflexes because we have a lot of physical therapists and occupational therapists out there. And I have always worked on a team, thankfully. Um, so I'm, I'm spoiled. I have to say, um, 
but we have physical therapists and occupational therapists out there telling us that kids are getting stuck in things like a Moro response. That's the startle response. And there are reasons those are happening, but we'll, that's happening, but we'll, we'll get to some of the postural control issues in a little while, but hopefully our pediatricians are checking the full body responses uh, and reflexes as well at birth. Okay, back to birth. Um, pages 65 to 70, um, if those of you who have the book and you're not driving. <laughs> <laughs> Again, not driving. In <laughs> uh, a newborn, it is my hope, as they do in Brazil, that we will start to look at uh, tongue, lip, and buckle ties because babies do a lot of sucking in utero. They come out sucking, not just suckling. So it's not just a reflex. They've been sucking amniotic fluid for quite some time. And so the sooner we can get to those ties, the better. Because as time goes on, I just had somebody ask me about a child who she saw it two days and now the child's eight weeks. Uh, this was just last night because I try to help as many therapists as I can uh, with their questions as they, they come to them. Um, and, and here's the deal. I'm not the best therapist in the world, all right? But I have 40 years of spending time on, or almost 40 years, at looking at this particular area across age groups. So that's the only difference I have from people, other people. Um, okay, so we want lip, tongue, buckle ties, especially tongue ties looked at at birth, especially if that baby's born with that high narrow palate. We want to be sure, and this is one that's skipped over a lot. You said reflexes are sucking pads. Suck people. Yes. Forget. Oh my God. Yes, they are. <laughs> yes. Sucking Sorry. I, I gave birth to a 35 weeker, so I can vouch for it as a mom. <laughs> when you miss those People plan cesareans earlier and earlier. And when you miss those last two weeks of pregnancy, mm -hmm. that suck pads don't get built and they don't realize how important those are. I'm sorry. I feel very, very strongly on that one. But yes, go ahead. Continue. Good. I'll be quiet now. You're, you're singing my song, Michelle. <laughs> yes. Um, because people say, oh, they have sucking pads, but preemies don't develop them. They don't develop after birth. Um, and then uh, if, if a child even has low muscle tone that runs in the family, I'm one of those. I'm low normal muscle tone. It just runs in my family. You know, you really have to check to be sure the sucking pads. And there is a video in the e-course and also my course, my 12-hour course uh, that I do for uh, talk tools now. Uh, it's not in the speech therapy PD course, though, um, but it is in the free e-course. So um, there's one that shows what the sucking pads do to get appropriate intraoral pressure for sucking. If you don't have good sucking pads, that liquid's gone all around in the mouth. And this is why we need to apply, carefully apply cheek support. And I say carefully, somebody has to teach a parent how to do this. Um, my goal is to get this information information. The reason I wrote books for two books for parents and professionals, I would love to see this get into prenatal classes um, and postnatal classes so parents can get the information. You know, there are all kinds of people who can teach this. IBCLCs, health educators. Um, you don't have to be a feeding therapist 
um, to teach what normal development is, I don't believe. Okay, so sucking pads airway. You know, I have a picture, I mean a video in, again in my e-course and now in my 12-hour course with a snoring newborn. That is not normal. So any snoring, uh, noisy breathing, look, the person talking to me last night, the therapist, uh, the child had laryngomalacia, wet sounding voice, all of that airway stuff needs to be attended to. Um, so we need our ENT, our pediatrician, uh, to be working together on why that's happening and figure it out. And then feeding at birth. Um, so pages three to six, if you have the book and you're not driving, <laughs> feeding at birth, um, you'll see functional sucking at the breast and the bottle. And these are two very different processes. Kathy Jenna's new book, I can't say the name off the top of my head, but it's in my book. And just look up Catherine Watson Jenna and look at the book she edited in 2017. Um, and she's it, the book's been out for a long time. It's just updated. But really, babies are born sucking. Okay. And they suck differently from a bottle than the breast. And in my new book, I pulled up the research on that. And so we have to assess that differently. Um, and I'm not against bottle feeding if somebody needs to bottle feed. Um, you know, bottles have their place, but breast is best for mouth development. But sometimes it's just not in the cards um, or people have to part time bottle feed. So chapters, uh, chapter three of the new book and also chapter two of the other book Um has the best ways to uh, bottle feed if you need to bottle feed in, in order to keep the mouth in shape. Uh, and then the other time, other thing we have to look at in our newborn is what they're doing in different positions. I mean, I think I told you that um, a colleague of, of mine and I, we want to write a book for parents because in chapter one of the book, Feed Your Baby and Toddler Right, I put a tummy time literature-based criterion referenced tummy time checklist based on the developmental literature we have. And you'll see who the references are there. Most parents are told tummy time, but they are not told what to look for specifically by age and tummy time. And that's a developmental sequence. And so we have a lot of kids that are spending much time on their backs. So we're having flat heads. They're spending a lot of time in containers uh, like car seats and that. And, and this is a no guilt thing, thing, parents or therapists who are parents or therapists. <laughs> it's an, I always say my courses are no guilt courses because um, we do what we have to do. We, we live in a very mobile society. Back to sleep is the standard of care. Um, via the American Academy of Pediatrics. So parents just have to be a little more aware of what their kids are doing in sideline, what they're doing in belly time, how much time uh, the parents are baby wearing. All those things can really help with postural control and development. Because here's the deal. I thought, oh, it's a little out of place for me to put this tummy time checklist in this first chapter. But I thought, oh, 
I can't find it anywhere else except in expensive materials. Um, so we need everybody to know what they should be looking for in tummy time, particularly, instead of people just saying, oh, nebulously, let's just do tummy time. Yes. But, and parents will say to me, oh, he gets lots of tummy time, but they don't know specifically what the movements are they should be seeing in that. So I put that in there and I hope to write a book with a colleague on sideline, tummy time, you know, all the baby wearing, all the different positions. This podcast is brought to you by SpeechTherapyPD.com. SpeechTherapyPD.com is an engaging, evidence-based continuing education site that offers over 450 continuing education hours. The best part? The information garnered can be applied in therapy immediately. It's functional and fabulous without the hassle of trying to translate technical jargon from a research article. Can I entice you more? Well, then get your suntan lotion ready because next summer, SpeechTherapyPD.com is hosting a CEU cruise. That's right. July 27th through August 3rd of 2019, the amazing, delightful, and oh-so-kind Char Beauchart, M-A-C-C-C-S-L-P, will be the featured speaker for 12-plus continuing education hours on a cruise ship through Greece. That's right. You heard it right. Greece. Want to get the preview or want to catch a preview of the information she's going to share? Then tune into her pod course, The Speech Link, which is also eligible for continuing education through speechtherapypd.com. Maybe, oh, just maybe, I'll see y'all in Greece. Okay, so a, a couple of thoughts for, especially for those, I mean, I have a four-year-old and six-year-old, so like we're past that stage. But for those of you out there that don't have tiny humans of your own yet, um, to put this in like a day-to-day -day perspective, when you breastfeed, um, if you don't alternate breastfeeding, your boobs will scream at you and inform you that you need to alternate breasts during a feed or every other feed or pump off of one of them. All right. So from a physical perspective, what that does is that changes the baby and how they latch and you um, kind of think of it as like rotating an egg. Um, that, that's the, that's the analogy that I always give. You have to rotate the egg, but when we bottle feed most often, because what 75% of us are right-handed, we always hold the baby with their left arm and put the bottle in the right. So they tend to get cooked or on, instead of rotating that egg, they only cook one way. And, but they're, they're strengthening unilaterally if you do it from that perspective, which sets these kids up for torticollis later on. And a lot of families are afraid that they won't bond or they're afraid to put the baby down for tummy time because they scream and it's uncomfortable. And if these children don't strengthen um, and learn the tummy time, and for new moms, especially, I always say, you know, lay on the ground and put the baby on you or lay in your bed or lay on your couch, get comfortable. And that still allows them to have that bonding time. But if we skip tummy time, you are setting that kid up for unchecked GERD, um, poor core strength development, delayed sitting up. I mean, it's one thing leading to another thing leading to another thing. And 
Some of our kids that can't hold a spoon or fork right or can't bring a cup to their mouth because they're floppy at the seat. If you chase that all the way back, you're going to see that they were late getting in on their tummies. And as far as those containers thing go, been there, done that. I will admit I was a bumbo mom because I have two dogs, two boys and a career and I needed to pee solo. So the baby went in the bumbo, but also balance that with, so when she says no guilt, we've been there, done that, raised tiny humans, you'll survive. Um, if you're pregnant, you're welcome. Those are functional advice. <laughs> and it's, All right. And tell me, the belly time checklist is on pages 41 to 42 in the new book for you. And, you know, I just want to say that it's not, tummy time is really crucial. And just what Michelle just said, um, that's really the way to do it. It's so much fun just to have that baby lying on your chest and making, lifting their head and uh, making eye contact. And there's pictures of that in uh, both of my books. For And they smell so good when oh, you do that. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I'm like, until they throw up on you, but until that moment, they smell so good. We were talking about that too. And I just put a bib, you know, because babies under six months often have at least a little bit of reflux. Um, And so, you know, you just put that bib on you, on your chest or that little soft towel. And then it's not a big deal, really. Um, so I had something else, but I can't remember what it was. But I think we should move on to our next question, which is the difference. <laughs> yes, because we've already burned like so much yeah. time. Okay. All right. So how do you feel that you assess differently when you're considering a bottle or a breastfed right. infant? Right. One more. The other thing I thought of that I forgot about postural control, if you read pre-feeding skills, you read neurodevelopmental literature, uh, which uh, a lot of it began with um, the Bobeths in England. And there's another woman, I'm not remembering her name off the top of my head, but it's in one of my books. Um, and, and any of the NDT stuff that's out there now, if children don't develop postural control, they don't develop the planes of movement in the body straight, planes front back, um, sideward movement, diagonal movement, rotational movement in the body, they're not going to develop it in the mouth, which is considered really fine motor function. We often think that uh, hand use is fine motor function, but oral use is fine motor function. So to breastfeeding and bottle feeding differences, Kathy Jenna really helped us to see this. Um, in her book. So if uh, I highly recommend her book, uh, in addition to pre-feeding skills and many other books, we'll get to them. I have, uh, I could stay up, try to stay up with everybody's books <laughs> too. And there are many books mentioned in my, my books, but, uh, in the book, you'll see on pages 54 to 61, the difference between breast and bottle feeding, which I didn't really know. And I put them side by side. I didn't know the exact differences about this, but there's been so much more research uh, recently. But in when I wrote the book in 2010, the, every, the Nobody Ever Told Me book, um, I didn't know this. But I put side by side in those pages uh, what the difference is. And so somebody who's bottle feeding, so a breastfeeding baby is going to root uh, to find the breast and be fed on different sides, which gives um, the face 
exercise on different sides. It gives the body exercise on different sides. Um, and so I recommend for uh, breastfeed, I mean, for bottle fed babies, something called paste uh, baby led bottle feeding. Uh, and I recommend back to your comment, Michelle, about bottle feeding that the parents switch sides. So you don't end up with some of these problems we're talking about. Um, the breastfed baby's mouth opens fully. The bottle fed baby's mouth only opens enough for whatever bottle you're using. We, it turns into nipple feeding. Yeah. Well, and we as feeding therapists have liked the Playtex nurser. Um, and we're, my daughter has three children. Her youngest is, and she's also a speech language pathologist. Um, and her youngest is two and a half. Uh, and spent a lot of time in NICU. And uh, she started with Dr. Brown, which is also a great system, and then moved on to the Playtex Slow Flow because that's, you know, when she had to supplement. She breastfed as well, but she had to bottle feed and supplement too. Um, and a lot of working moms have to pump their milk and, you know, supplement and get back to work. Uh, so uh, that's something to consider. With the um, breastfed baby compared to the bottle-fed baby, the tongue, this is so beautiful. This, this description comes from Kathy Jenna. She says this. She says, the baby's tongue, we have an anterior tongue reflex. So some people call it a tongue thrust reflex. I've taken that out completely. Tongue thrust is never normal. So what happens is the baby's tongue is encouraged to come out in breastfeeding, grasp the mother's breast. The mouth is wide open, not hyperextended, but wide open. And then the breast is drawn deeply into the, uh, the baby's mouth. And then the front of the tongue with the jaw moves up and down like a pump. So we, with our suck and our swallow, our, our tongue and jaw move up and down. And later on, much later on, uh, our tongue moves separately from our jaw up to initiate that swallow. So then, so you see, we have the normal swallow starting with the suck. And a lot of this information came from an instrumental study by people, someone named Elad, and I have the whole reference, Elad, Dr. Elad, who Kathy has worked with. Um, and so it's an Elad article that will tell you instrumentally what's really going on in breastfeeding. And we, we've been guessing a long time, but now we know. Um, and then what happens when the mother's breast is drawn deeply into the baby's mouth is it helps to keep that broad palate, the wide U shape of the palate that we really should never use. I mean, lose. Sorry. <laughs> I'm with you. It's fine. I got you. <laughs> and the tongue cups the breast. So humping and thrusting of the tongue is never normal. The tongue should be in a cupped position. Um, and then let's see what else here. That's why, I mean, there's a whole bunch of these. We should have a good feeding rhythm, all those things. Whereas in bottle feeding, the difference is that the tongue extends over the lower gum and I'm not putting bottle feeding down. I mean, goodness gracious. I mean, we, 
Bottle feeding is a medicalized way of feeding a baby, but if we didn't have bottles, there's a lot of babies, babies who wouldn't do well. And by the way, Kelly Mom uh, is a really good website on breastfeeding and alternative feeding methods because Wait, 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 yes. wait. Say that again. Kelly, I haven't heard of this. Kelly Mom, all one word, K-E-L-L-Y-M-O-M, is a great website for breastfeeding moms or moms and dads who are looking for alternate ways to feed their babies. Because I'm of a generation where we saw our first feeding tubes, okay? So, you know, uh, how did we feed our preemies before? Well, we cup fed them because ever so tiny. Because cup feed, open cup feeding, if you look at the literature, and breastfeeding are more similar than bottle feeding is to breastfeeding. Even though it generally looks the same, it is not the same. So, with your bottle fed baby, um, as I said, their jaw only opens enough for the bottle. Um, they extend their tongue over the lower gum. It doesn't really reach out and grasp the bottle nipple and <laughs> pull it in like, like it does with mom. Um, you'll see their lips and their cheeks work as a unit. So there's different lip and cheek movement, which is one reason I think a lot of children can bottle feed when they can't breastfeed if they're missing sucking pads. Um, and if a child has appropriate sucking pads, those you can barely get your finger into that cheek area so if you put your finger in the child's mouth you'll feel it's a big ball of fat uh, in the cheeks and those sucking pads are crucial for breastfeeding um, the tongue will cup around the rounded bottle nipple but if the bottle nipple's not rounded then the tongue is asked to do something else um, okay and then there's there's muscle differences um, it's a, I can't even count uh, how many differences there are, but I have them side by side for you so you can look them up, okay? So what, what do I do when I'm <laughs> evaluating a breastfed baby versus a bottle-fed baby? Or Most of the babies I see are typically developing or typically born babies. They may have been born a little early because of what you mentioned, Michelle, in terms of... Um, you know, a scheduled delivery or whatever, um, or distress or for whatever reason. Uh, and so with those babies, uh, they usually have limited sucking pads and we can give the cheek support carefully applied in order to help compensate for that. But I kind of lost my train of thought there. What was, can you bring it you, you were going through the differences in the assessment. Oh, in the assessment. So that's what I do. You know, I go to uh, what's normal for breastfeeding. And I, with breastfeeding babies, I always have an IBCLC. That's what, where I was going. So um, please bring me back if I head off in another that's, direction. That's okay. We, it, it's absolutely fascinating. And and I, I'm right there with you. So go, go for it. Okay. So it's the IBCLCs that usually the uh, internationally certified, uh, board certified lactation consultants who I started working with back in Maryland. And here's a shout out to all the IBCLCs in Maryland that I worked with and Virginia, by the way, and the Maryland Speech Language Hearing Association, which I was a part of for such a long time. Uh, and so, so it, uh, a group of four 
IBCLC started referring babies to me where they couldn't take care of the problems in the mouth. And these were mostly typically born. You'll see one in the uh, e-course online. And that's what's happening here. I have IBCLCs here now in Las Vegas, uh, which I moved to for the weather, by the way. Um, <laughs> and the airport. It's a good airport here. But the thing is, and Baltimore's a good airport too, so it's fine. But anyway, back to the, uh, the breastfeeding, bottle feeding. Usually I get babies from an IBCLC or a pediatric dentist and IBCLC. Um, and that's because they can't figure out how to solve the breastfeeding problem. And then I'll look at the differences I told you about in the book, which I didn't go through them all, but you can just see, look them up. And I look to see what the baby's doing in each process functionally um, and, and what's missing. And so a lot of times with breastfed babies, because there is a section um, in the book, uh, pages 62 to 65, why so many women have difficulty breastfeeding. So usually it's that folks have forgotten to look whether there's missing or limited sucking pads. And that could be just something running in the family. You may have a 40 week or a 40 plus week baby and still have limited sucking pads. It could be running in the family. We, we now have questions about epigenetics, whether our species are changing because we've been doing bottle feeding for so many generations. But again, no guilt, no worries. Even if your baby doesn't have sucking pads, there's something called the dancer hand position you can use to, to help take care of that. Um, um, I, I always tell the family, fed is fed is fed. As long as the baby's fed, that's what counts. This is right. Yes. And parents are so nervous, especially first-time parents. And that's why I think uh, we, need, we just can't assume that parents know this normal feeding stuff. Because... Uh, well, because we've not been doing normal feeding for many generations uh, with formula. And I mean, I'm not against it. It, it ha they all, Everything has its use with bottle feeding. But, you know, when I grew up, I was born in the 50s. Um, and of course, I was bottle fed. You can tell by my facial structure that I was. And um, so... What we're trying to do is help to keep the best face and mouth development, whether the child's breastfed or bottle fed. And that that's one of the things uh, that one of my goals with these books. And then jaw movement is the other thing people don't look at. Remember, remember we talked about the phasic bite response. So mm -hmm. the I, I remember bare teething and that went all too well. well. The thing is, there's a little girl that's brought into me. And you'll see me working with her. And uh, all right, so they thought she had a tongue tie. She was humping and thrusting her tongue. She was biting down and chomping on mom. Uh, and ouch. And so I go in and you see me. Um, I can't get tongue cupping and grooving. So I then go to her jaw. And this is all explained very clearly in the e-course. Um, and then, and I, I did reason I'm giving it for free is you guys can use it in your practice. All I ask is do not show it to audiences. But if you have a parent where you want to show something, show a slide, show a video, you know, um, it, it's just not out there. So why not? You know, that's what I say. And it's free um, because I don't, we don't have a workshop company anymore. I work for other people like Darla. 
So anyway, <laughs> uh, <laughs> so anyway, we are going to, you'll see me go in and, and I take just the fleshy side of my finger. I go back to the molar area. I press up top because that's Sarah Rosenfeld Johnson's technique to press up top, but you can press down the bottom. Why do we press up top? Because we're trying to keep the palate spread and we, ha you'll see the baby chewing on my finger and I can then assess the grading of the baby's jaw movement. It also, phasic bite response also helps to organize the baby's jaw. So with this one little girl, what you'll see is that once she does some phasic biting on each side, then I turn my gloved finger around and I go back and I start tongue walking and stroking her tongue and guess what? She gets tongue cupping and grooving. You'll also see me give some cheek support because she was a li little limited on sucking pads. So I give her some cheek support and that helps with, because it's it brings everything to the middle and it closes down the oral space. Tongue humping and thrusting is the tongue's attempt, I think, to take up the oral space. Whereas when you bring the cheeks in, you close down the oral space, guess what? You often get tongue cupping and grooving. So yay. And then of course, I think tongue, lip and buckle ties ought to be looked at at birth. Um, you know, it, I know it's, it may not, somebody said to me, well, it's not perfect anywhere in the world, but at least Brazil has a start on it, which is really good. And I, I have a working theory that I think a uh, severe tongue tie, not, I mean, I've seen kids that have the tiniest little bit of tongue tie and simple movement, they're fine, you know, change position, change something, they're fine, it's fine. <clears throat> but I'm talking like a really bad anterior tongue tie. Um, those kids tend to have really severe acid reflux. So I have a working theory that what happens is if you have a severe tongue tie, it pulls your hyoid bone in a slightly elevated anterior superior um, position, which pulls the UES slightly open. So I don't think that they ever get con like complete closure. Yes. If you look at uh, oral motor assessment and treatment ages and stages, the textbook, or if you email me, um, you, I can send you um, some pages that, that talk about the muscles. The jaw is connected to the hyoid. The tongue feels like that song, you know, everything. The larynx is connected to the hyoid. The hyoid is a crucial bone. And the other thing that seems to be happening with kids lying on their backs or being in containers more, again, no judgment here, but we also have gravity. Uh, so we have, there's a lot of talk about posterior tongue tie um, these days. And we also have gravity pulling that tongue back. So the reason we really want to do this at birth is because we don't want to have the effects of gravity also on that tongue. And then we often, I'm, I'm a fully trained body worker. Uh, while I don't keep my NCTMB, which is National Certification in Therapeutic Massage and Body Work, because it's just too much to keep up with everything. I went to massage school so I could learn to handle uh, you know, people's mouths properly and their, and what their body should be doing. And so the thing is that at birth, we don't 
we haven't had those effects of gravity. Uh, when the children are later, I'm not saying they shouldn't get their tongues released. Yes, um, if they need it. And that's, I don't make that decision. What I do is I talk about function. And so with tongue tie, you'll see this in the book as well. At birth, it would be great if we could get that assessment and get it taken care of with people who are experienced and know what they're doing. Uh, that's important too. Uh, and then after birth, as children grow, we need a really good functional assessment, which you have birth to two years feeding um, in the new book. Uh, and you also have the same thing in the previous book. And they're all developmental checklists that I got from the literature. They're not Diane Barr's experience. Um, when it gets to the therapeutic area, I'll usually say this is my experience. But everything else comes from the literature. And it's what's called criterion referenced. So that we're looking at what children should be doing developmentally at what age. And, I, and by the age of two, a child should be eating and drinking pretty much like you or me. And that's all in the book um, so that you guys can use those checklists. And then what I do, I, I use the pre-feeding checklist from Suzanne Morris and Marsha Dunkline. It's in the back of the pre-feeding skills book because it's the only checklist. I mean, I use my own checklist too, but um, I took a lot of my information from their work. Um, and of course, I, I gave them credit for it and I changed the wording a bit so that it wasn't plagiarism. Uh, <laughs> That's an important bit of information to know. Well, you know, I, what I do is um, I, I worked in a university um, for about 11 years total between part-time and full-time. I learned a lot and I taught my students a lot about using APA format. Um, so I try to be very careful and follow the American Psychological Association's format when I'm writing. Um, okay, so anyway, as the child gets older, you, I feel you need to get as much, if you're talking about tongue tie, lip tie, buckle tie, you know, which is where the uh, cheeks are attached to the gums, um, you need, I I feel like I need in my assessment to see what they can do functionally. And then I like to treat them before they get the release to get as much function as I can. And then after the release, I want to see them right away um, or as soon as I can, as soon as the whoever has done the release says I can start to work with them. Uh, and I think one of the problems with tongue tie releases these days is uh, there are a variety of ways to do post-release work, and and there and a lot of them are, are really really good ways. But uh, somehow we expect parents. Now I told you I went to massage school back in uh, the '90s, and I learned from a lot of people who taught me to do hands-on work. Um, but that's the NDT course is on my to-do list. So I hadn't <laughs> thought about massage. So you're kind of, you're piquing my interest with this, with that route, because I know there's a lot of early interventionists that I work with that have gone and taken like infant massage courses. Um, and 
you know, they take that coupled with their, you know, hands-on training by like a kid specific OT or PT. And it's really cool to watch. So now I'm like, okay, so do I need to get NDT certified in 2020 and massage certified in 2020? Cause like, I I did massage certification because I couldn't get into an NDT course. I was like you raising my daughter and work and no NDT course came my way, although I have taken a course or two with Lois Bly, who, whose work I really like. And she's an NDT trainer. Um, hold, hold that thought. For everybody that doesn't know what we're talking about with all this acronym being thrown out, NDT is neurodevelopmental training. Um, it used to be an entire month-long class. Now it's divvied up four weeks over the course of a year. Um, but it's all about um, neural development. And it is... It's like the missing piece for some of these kids. Um, Sorry, squirrel. And And uh, continue. Back to those kids where they're getting the release. A lot of the release providers are wonderful. But I have one here in town who sends me uh, babies who aren't doing so well after the release. And part of it is this is not a guilt trip for parents. But, hey, parents. Um, or even some therapists, how many of you are comfortable just going right in somebody's mouth? I mean, it's, it's a very vulnerable, <laughs> really? right. it's a very vulnerable area. So suddenly you have this release and the parents are told to do these things when they've never even been in their, their child's mouth. <laughs> All, I, I'm laughing so hard because I remember the first time somebody said I had to do a rectal thermometer on my newborn. And I was like, there is no way I'm shoving a thermometer in there. And then on the second kid, man, you just, you just do it. But that first one. Well, like- I remember one of the things that we didn't talk about is my background. Uh, as far as the therapist, I started out in the public schools. I loved it. I moved back to Baltimore. I went to work at the Maryland School for the Blind for about 10 years. And I was on a full-time feeding team, OTPT speech, education, residential, any other, anybody you want, doctors from um, Johns Hopkins. I mean, we had it all. And all of a sudden, somebody hands me that oral massage and says, go do this because that child needs more awareness. They're defensive. They're defended. Uh, and and you'll see when I send you a copy of the oral massage, it was Suzanne Wason, who was my mentor um, at the Maryland School for the Bl- Blind, who handed me this <laughs> this document. <laughs> and I thought, you've got to be kidding I just came from the public schools for three years of my first three years. And, you know, I sat across the table um, and we had Candyland. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I got a lot of kids talking with that. No, I'm just kidding. Um, that That's a perfect segue into our, our next question because, like, I just looked at the clock and, you know, no panic. We have five minutes. Um, but when you – who's on your team? When you see worries with these kids, and for those that do fly out, they're solo because, I mean, I'm, I'm blessed I've made a makeshift team, but most early intervention, home health, you know, birth to three folks are in the trenches and don't have that team. So where do you recommend that they go well, to? Well, I almost always work with an IBCLC. Um And uh, then the pediatric dentist or orthodontist, I've worked with them. The ENT with experience, because an ENT has to understand the airway issues. The pediatrician, uh, a body worker who works in the mouth. I've just found, uh, or we've just found my IBCLC, one of them here in Las Vegas, just found two body workers 
who are comfortable working in children's mouths because sometimes there's myofascial restrictions. Uh, and I asked one of the dentists who's one of the top, and I'm not going to mention his name because he may not want to be mentioned, but um, I said to him, when you do these releases, are you seeing fascia? And he said, oh, yes, I'm seeing a lot of fascia. So fascia is that stuff that wraps muscles. And sometimes if gravity has pulled that tongue back for a long time, some of that fascia can get stuck. And so that's why I work with body workers who work in the mouth because I, I can't do it all. I'm, I'm here to put together something so everybody can go on their merry way and have a successful feeding experience. You know, and then anybody else. And of course, we talked about the body and neurodevelopmental treatment. I want somebody who can look at this child's body. So cranial osteopaths. I mean, when I taught in Australia uh, in, I guess it was June. It just feels like this 2018 <laughs> went by real fast. But, um, you know, I had people from all different kinds of disciplines. So when you look at the Talk Tools course, you'll see the audience is a lot of different people. I'm pretty sure the speech therapy PD mm -hmm. course says that too. Um, I, I, my go-to, I have a um, OT that I work very closely with Paul, and he does a lot of reflex integration. When you're talking about Mora reflex, um, uh, and for our kids that are PTSD, because he and I have seen several children that were um, traumatic brain injury, shaken baby syndromes, and it's almost like they're locked in Moro. Um, that's, and, and they are rightly so, um, given what they've survived, you know, and that's, the, those are folks, you are one cog in the wheel. So when you have those days where you come home and you feel overwhelmed and like a failure because you can't get the kid to do what you want to and do. I, trust I still us. feel that too, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I mean, that was, I mean, heavens to Betsy's. I had that happen earlier this week. I'm like, what am I missing? What can't I see? And don't forget to chase the medical underlying that when she says an ENT that does the PEDS airway, that arrow portion of the aerodigestive track can, can derail everything and or prevent you from even getting on the rail if that hasn't been addressed. Right. First. And I always want to know um, the medical history of the child. It's so funny because I, when I, I went back briefly to the public schools while I was waiting for my full-time job at Loyola to come through. And, um, you know, I would look at these kids and I think, uh, and it was just a few months, but I would think, oh, I wonder if he was a preemie. And there was nothing in the record about it. And so it explains so much. And kids on their backs or in containers a lot, they also get stuck in the moro response, which is the startle response. So um, I know you had a couple other questions. Do you want me to speed through them? Um, if you could give me, um, it, okay, so two last questions. And this is just general, you know, Michelle curiosity, not really for academic purposes. But um, if you could go back and tell yourself one thing from, you know, before you started this journey, what is one bit of advice you would tell yourself when you were a green clinician? Okay. I have several. Of course, I don't have <laughs> well, you got it. <laughs> My husband hates me to say this one. And back to the OT, I right now I only co-treat with an OT pretty much. Um, so I'm really lucky. But anyway, uh, if here's one of my things. If you always do what you've done, you'll always get what you've got. And my husband hates that. But you just can't keep doing the same thing and think you're gonna get changes 
um, unless that thing you're doing works. Uh, this is from The Course in Miracles. I haven't studied it for uh, 20, 30 years. Uh, I used to go to a group, but they say we are all teachers and learners. So I'm always learning from you as much as you're learning from me and the same with our clients. We also teach what we most need to learn or know. So in my, that's one reason I agree to do these podcasts and things because I, I am teaching something. And then as I'm talking to you, I'm still, I'm figuring things out and then we keep on learning. So don't be afraid to try new things and change what you do. The work that I do, once you see it, you'll go, Oh, I can do that. This is not rocket mm-hmm. science. It just has to make sense. Okay. To whoever's okay. doing it. Now, now my, my okay. last question. As far as resources, is, my number one resource that I use um, is Prefeeding Skills by Suzanne Evans Morris and Martha Van Klein. They are also, that is the book that has the prefeeding checklist in it that I mentioned that's based on a study of typically developing children. And my two recent books um nobody ever told me or my mother that and feed your baby and toddler right um have typical feeding development it tells you how to do spoon feeding cup open cup drinking um straw drinking what's normal in chewing tongue lateralization all that kind of thing uh as far as when i'm teaching my course I often have people in the class who want information on tube feeding. And so I send them to, for additional information to Suzanne Morris and Marsha Dunkline. They are two of the best, but there are others who are out there. I'm, you know, I'm not excluding anybody for any particular reason. Um, These are just the resources that I tend to use. And, and Marsha Dunklein, by the way, is starting to teach more courses, and Suzanne still teaches courses um, in Virginia. And then I have a bunch of books listed in uh, both of my books, um, and these are for parents of typically developing children or kids that are, are off track in some way. And so Lori Overland and Robin Merkel-Walsh, have a good book on sensory motor feeding. Tanya Stegen Hansen, who is the OT I'm lucky enough to work with, has a book with Lori Ernsberger, Just Take a Bite. Kat Uro- Katja, sorry, Katja, if I said it wrong, Rowell and Jenny McLaughlin have two books now on picky eating. And then Melanie Potick has co authored books with any number of people on picky and selective eating and lots of great ideas for that. And then of course, we can't forget Ellen Satter, who is uh, a dietitian and social work person who really started us on a lot of the journey about how to work with the picky eater. And I have, I have a little bit in there, but um, those are the resources that, I keep on my shelf in addition to many others on the topic we discuss. Okay, Dot. So my last question, per the usual during these power hours, we have covered a lot of ground today, like almost literally. Um, so if a person wants to learn more about your approach for feeding and swallowing, where do you recommend that they check you out or how can they reach right. you? Right. So I told you my email. Um, it's funny, in my workshops, I even give you my phone number. 
Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I do the same. I appreciate that. Because uh, my workshops now are, I can't take a lot of uh, questions with them because they there's just so much information. So I want to be available to therapists after uh, the workshops or if, as things come up in therapist minds. So, or parents' minds or whoever the professional is in their mind. So in Australia, I had a pediatrician, you know, I mean, I had people from all kinds of different disciplines. My website, www.ages, A-G-E-S, A-N-D stages.net, N-E-T, it is a huge, has a huge footprint. Um, we are constantly putting new information on it about any topic related to feeding, speech, uh, or specifically motor speech and malfunction uh, and development. So we have this this month we have Dr. David McIntosh from Australia, um, and he is an ENT. Uh, and then we have an app developer from Australia who's a parent uh, who of a child of, who is a picky eater, and she developed this app. So I tried to get information out there uh, on the website. And then, of course, my email is D-I-B-A-H-R, D-I-B-A-H-R, at cox.net. And there's an ages and stages one, too, if you go to the website. But you know, if I don't get back to you right away, um, I've been trying to simplify my life lately. So I recently left a bunch of Facebook groups where I felt like um, I th- like they have the topic handled. <laughs> and I stayed in the Facebook groups that are a little more focused toward feeding and motor speech and early intervention. Um, and so if you email me and I don't get back to you, usually I'll say, because I've had a lot of illness in my family uh, this year. So usually I'll say, I'll get back to you and I'll kind of give you a period of time. If I don't get back to you, no, maybe I didn't get it. Maybe it's lost out there somewhere. So re-email me. Okay. Um, so that's how you can reach me. And that's how you can learn more about you know, the books and everything else. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for being so generous and giving of your time and for letting us do this. And I know we have to switch over to the lines, but because, you know, we went off on multiple educated and informed tangents, we only have time tonight for like one question. So we'll do the first question that comes in and then um, everybody else, if you'd be so kind as to email her at her email address or me at mine, I'd appreciate it. That's a wrap, folks. Once again, thank you for listening to First Bite, fed, fun, and functional. I'm your humble but yet sassy host, Michelle Dawson, the All Things Peds SLP. This podcast is part of a course offered for continuing education through speechtherapypd.com. Please check out the website if you'd like to learn more about CEU opportunities for this episode, as well as the ones that are archived. And as always, remember, feed your mind, feed your soul, be kind, and feed those babies.